Welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you. My name's Jeff. If I haven't got to meet you yet, uh, I would love to meet you and uh, talk with you a little bit after services. But thanks for being here this weekend. Thanks if you're watching online. Thanks for being here as well and uh, hanging out with us a little bit uh, this weekend here at Grace. Uh, we're in a series right now called A Good Kind of Weird, and we're talking about uh, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And really what we're doing is we're using this series to launch off a semester-long conversation about what a Christ follower actually is, and we're pressing into the words of Jesus to see what He actually calls us to, how He actually defines that for us, and uh, how He wants us to actually live. We're doing that because of all the noise in our culture right now, right? So that the term Christian gets thrown around like crazy, the symbol of the cross gets thrown around like crazy, even the word church gets thrown around like crazy, and I see it on TV, you do too, things done in the name of Christianity, things done with a cross in the background, and I look and I think, I don't, I don't even want to be associated with those people, right? I don't believe what they believe, I don't believe that uh, their hearts are right with God, I don't even want it to be tied to it, and yet it's all kind of slapped with the name Christian on it, and that's from the news and from our culture all the way down to maybe the family room you were raised in, that you look and say this person or that person or this family member or that member, they were spiritual, they were a Christian, but I don't respect their life, I don't really like them even that much, and I don't want to be associated with them. And so we just said, instead of getting our definitions from out there, why don't we get them from in here, why don't we look right at God's Word, see what Jesus actually said, what He actually desires for His followers, get that definition, and then weave that into to our lives, right? And so that's what we're looking at, and it's a good kind of weird because Christians are weird. We're not supposed to fit in. Uh, in our culture right now, there's kind of a political left, there's a political right, and then there's what we would call a mainstream, and actually Christ followers don't fit in any of those categories. Uh, there's a different way. There's a path that Jesus blazed, and it doesn't fit on the left. It doesn't fit on the right. It doesn't even fit in the mainstream. It is His way. And as a Christ follower, I'm trying to discover His way and weave His way into my life and take that journey. And so what is that way and how does it, how does it look and how does it function, okay? So we've been talking about it a little bit, and that's going to be a long conversation, but we broke, we broke it into series. So this series is that good kind of weird. And we said last weekend, uh, one of the things that's a good kind of weird about being a Christian is that we're ambassadors, that we represent the heart and the mind of Jesus. If you want that conversation or others are online, our website or on the app, and you can listen to those kind of fill in the blanks a little bit with it. This weekend, I want to talk to you about the church and what a church is, what Jesus thinks of a church, what He would want for the church when He created the church. Church isn't a man-made invention. It's a God-made invention. So when God made it, when Christ made it, when He gave Himself for the church, what does that mean? And how do I like fit into that and play into it? Okay, now, if you're talking about what it means to be a Christ follower, the church is a huge part of that conversation because when you become a Christ follower, a bunch of things happen simultaneously spiritually with us, right? So when I recognize that I am a sinner and that I need forgiveness or salvation from my sin, and I look and say that comes from Jesus Christ alone, and, and we talked about this the first week of this series, that that's what 
what the Apostle Paul says, like salvation comes from Christ alone, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. <clears throat> Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Those are Jesus's words. That's what he says of himself. So I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I need salvation. I can only receive that salvation from Christ alone. I ask for the forgiveness of my sin. A bunch of things happen to me simultaneously. One is <clears throat> I am forgiven. So the minute I ask for the forgiveness of sin, the Bible says Christ is faithful, he's just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He takes my sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. So that happens instantaneously. I am also instantaneously filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's another conversation we're not going to have it this weekend. It's a great conversation, but we just don't have the time right now. But that happens at the moment that I ask Christ for my forgiveness of sin. I also receive what the Bible calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit or a spiritual gift, at least one, oftentimes multiple spiritual gifts. That happens at the moment that I accept Christ as my Savior. And again, another conversation, big one, fun one, but not today, right? And then the other thing that happens when I ask Christ as my Savior is I become a part of the church, so when I think of myself as being a Christ follower, I have to think of myself as being a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the global church, the universal church, every Christ follower on the planet's a part of the church. And then the Bible teaches us to organize the church into local churches. So Grace Church is a local church. We're a local expression of a global thing that's called the church of Jesus Christ. So the church is a really, really big part of following Christ. And it's a very, very misunderstood part of following Christ because there's this church over here that's full of racists. There's this church over here that tells people who are, are soldiers, families that die, that they're going to hell. There's this church over here that's telling you if you send in 50 bucks, you'll get rich and your hair will grow back. There's a, it's, it's manipulated all over the place. So when, if you're like me, when you hear the word church, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to be associated with that word. And yet God would say it's an integral part of what it means to have a relationship with him, right? So I don't know what your preconceived ideas are about church. I know what mine were before I became a Christ follower. Uh, I was a kid that got drugged to church, right? So my parents would take us three to four times a week to uh, a church service. Uh, and then all of our social life was around the church, and so we would have Christian versions of fun things, which basically removed the fun from them. And so <clears throat> we had Christian roller skating and we had Christian bowling and Christian movies and all that kind of stuff. And so that, that was kind of my experience growing up and it's how I thought of church. So before I came to Christ, if you had interviewed me and said, tell me what you think about church or use your words to define church, I would have said something like this. I would, have, I would have talked in terms of a building. Like I go to church. And what I meant was that building over there on County Line Road where I went to church. So it's the church building or we go to church or we're headed to church, right? And I would have talked about it in those terms. Uh, I also would have talked about it in terms of services is what we called them or meetings. So when I thought about church, I thought about meetings that we went to and we would go and we would listen to lectures. And we would hear a, an hour, hour and a half long lecture on Sunday morning from the pastor. And we sat there and <clears throat> kind of took it, right? And then we would hear a different one on Sunday night. 
and then yet a different one on Wednesday night. And then we went to Sunday school because nothing says fun like going to school on Sunday. <clears throat> the only thing more fun than that is vacation Bible school. Because what I really, really long to do on my vacation is go to school. And so we would, <clears throat> we would go and we would be lectured to again by loving people who cared about us and had great, great intentions. Nobody was being a jerk. I wasn't part of a cult. We, we just, that's what we did. And you would sit in your metal folding chair and you would listen to a lecture. And our pastor was a screamer. So he'd, he'd yell at you. He'd be hoarse by the end of the service and he would hurt his hand because he'd pound the pulpit, right? And that, that's what you did. So when I talked about church, I'd be like, oh, we go to church, that building, and that's where we get our lecture from. That's where, that's where we get our information from, right? The other thing I would have thought about with church was this. If you asked me who was the church, I would have told you that that whole thing, that building and those meetings were run by a group of people and they were the church, so the pastor and then our tradition had deacons and Sunday school teachers and things like that. And so that was the church and those people were the church. And I would have, I would have said the church wants me to be involved in something or the church called and we're going to go do some volunteering somewhere or the church uh, is having a meeting and they want us to come to it to get information from the, the meeting, or the church is trying to raise some money to do whatever the church was raising money to do. So I would, have, I would have thought of it as a building, a set of meetings, a set of activities, and then a, a, a group of people that wants me to be involved, right? Now, I would have never thought of myself as the church. It wouldn't have crossed my mind. It, it was like this other thing that I did or that I participated in, I never thought of myself as a member of the church or a part of the, the church, right? And so I grew up kind of divorced from those things. It wasn't until I accepted Christ in college and then I met a guy, Pastor Bob Combs, my mentor, that I understood that I, I as a Christ follower, was a part of the church. I never really realized that. Uh, I never understood what, it, I didn't really know the point of a church. I thought of it as like a ritual or a set of obligations that you kind of put yourself through as penance for your sin. I, I didn't realize that the church loves people, that the more screwed up you are, the more you belong in church. Like it, it's helpful, you know. I, I didn't know, if I had a problem growing up, I would never tell the church. We all faked it. We pulled in. We, we, we turned off our country music. We walked in the door all dressed up. We left, turned on our country music and had our cigarette on the way home. That, that's, that's kind of the way it worked, right? At church. And so the idea that you live together, shared life together, were real with each other was a very, very foreign concept to me, okay? Now, I don't know what your preconceived ideas are, but those were kind of mine. I knew what the church was against, I knew very clearly that they were against certain things, never really knew what it was for, and just thought of it as like a way to pay off the spiritual credit card that I ran up that, that, that week, okay? Now, is that what Jesus thinks? Because I, I'll be honest with you, like when I was growing up, like the idea that when, when you come to Christ, you become a part of the church, I'd be like, ah oh, man, party's over, I guess then, you know, that, like I don't even really want to be a part of this thing. And I, I guess if I don't want to go to hell, I got to go to church, right? Is that Jesus's view of it? 
So it's fascinating. When Jesus talks about the church, he never talks about it in those types of terms. He would never describe the church that way. Uh, when Jesus talks about the church, he never talks about it in terms of like a not-for-profit. So the church and United Way and the Red Cross, like they would not be remotely the same things for, for Jesus, right? How does he talk about the church and what's kind of his heart and mind on the church? So it's fascinating when you, when you start looking at how Jesus talks, uh, Jesus, when he talked about the church, he would talk about it in relational terms, not organizational terms. So when Jesus talked about the church, first of all, he would think of the church as a spiritual thing not a cultural thing. So he would, he would look and say the church is a spiritual entity. And just like you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and just like you receive spiritual gifts, and just like you receive the salvation from your sin, a spiritual thing happens in you, and you become a part of what Jesus calls my church, Right? So he, he looks and says, no, this is, this is an invitation, a supernatural act that weaves you into something, this spiritual thing. Jesus also would look at the church as a group of people. He wouldn't look at it as a building. So he would, he would, if he was here today, he would say, yeah, hey, church, glad you have a building you're meeting in. It's really nice in Northeast Ohio when it's 44 below zero that we get to sit inside, Right? But he wouldn't look at the building as, as the church. He would look and say, the church meets in the building. We could meet in any building anywhere, right? It's just nice that we have one that we all fit into. So he would look at it as a group of people, as a spiritual entity. And then he would look at this group of people that he has a, a unique relationship with. So listen to these. Jesus uses these metaphors when he describes his church. He says, my, my church is my bride, that's fascinating. That's a lot different than the United Way. So my bride, so Jesus would say, yeah, it's my bride. Like, like in marriage, there's this oneness between me and my church. There's this unique, special, chosen relationship between me and my church. Another metaphor that he uses is he says that the church is his family, that the church is a spiritual family. So there's like a loyalty, there's a dedication. It's a lot different than we show up and sit in services together. Uh, a lot different than a group of people that meet for a political cause. He would say, no, there's a, there's a family, a love, a, a depth there. Another word that he uses is his body. He says, the church is the body of Christ. It's like me and the church are the same thing. That, that, that the church is a physical representation of me on the planet now. So that when you're interacting with the church, it's as if you're interacting with me personally. My bride, my family, my body. And then he says this, this is fascinating one. He says, you know what the church is? The church are joint heirs with me. So if Jesus was here, he would look and say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, you've put your life under the definition and direction of Jesus, you're living for him, right? He would look and say, you know who you are? You're my brother. You and I are both sons of God. You're my sister. You and I are, you're the daughter of God. We're the children of God. 
So I look at you as you're, you're no longer my slaves. I'm not your master. You're my friends is a word that Jesus looks at. You're in the family. You know everything that I know about the Father. And he would look at us very, very differently. And then he would take it another step and he would say this. I want you guys, the way that I look at you as a wife, as a body, as a family, as a brother or sister, I want you guys, my church, to then look at each other that way. So you have the same connection with each other that I have with my father and that you now have with your, my father through the salvation that I offered you. Now that's way, way different than we go to church together. That's way, way different than we all like Jeff because he's sexy and hot and I like looking at him. It, like, it's way, way different than that. It's way, way different than we like this band over that band. There, there's a bond, there's a connection, there's a deeper tie. And Jesus will look and say, that's what I mean by church. I don't mean that group over there got a tax-exempt status and now they spew whatever in the name of being a church, what I mean is the spiritual body that I'm tied to, that I work through, and that I want, to be I want to, them to love and be devoted to each other, okay? So what I want to do is I want to take us kind of this 30,000-foot level, and, and let's dig into this a little bit. And I want to show you, we could sit here for six months and talk about the, the nuances and the depth of what it means to be a church, but I want to, for the sake of time, I want us to get like kind of a high, high level and maybe challenge some of our preconceived ideas. Or for those of us who don't have any, like put in a true definition of what Jesus would think of and what he would want from his church, okay? One, one of the metaphors that Jesus uses that's powerful about his church is he uses the word adoption, he says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So for the apostle Paul here is writing, he says, listen, this spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The spirit that you receive doesn't make you slaves. This, your salvation is not to tie you down to rituals you must perform. Your salvation is not to obligate you to things. Your salvation does not enslave you to you better show up, you better do these rituals, you better say this 10 times, you better put money in the basket. The spirit you receive is not locking you in to slavery. Rather, what it does is it facilitates your adoption to sonship. God doesn't look and say, you are my minions, you better show up on weekends or at least listen to the podcast. You better get your money in. You better stop smoking, drinking, chewing, and dating girls who do, or else you're not going. The salvation we receive facilitates our adoption. And when I think of myself as a part of the church, I'm thinking of myself as the family of God, the children of God, the bride of Christ, a son, a daughter of God. And that relationship alters the way that I interact with God, and then it alters the way that I interact with each other. So what would that relationship look like? How does it play out? Let me walk you through this a little bit. If we were talking about the church on a 30,000 foot level, what, what is the church? 
first of all, I, I just picked this one out and put it down. That the, the church is to be a group of people who are unified with Christ and because of Christ. We're unified with Christ and we're unified because of Christ. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he's actually praying for the church. And this is what he says in part of John chapter 17, verse 22. He's talking to his father and he says this. He says, Father, in essence, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me for a reason. I gave them the glory. I gave them the information. I gave them the salvation. I gave them the justification, the righteousness, all the big words. I gave them those things so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Father, I gave them all the truth that you gave me so that just like you and I are one, the church and I are one and the church with each other is one. Jesus said this several times. He said, listen, the Father and I are one. When you, when you interact with me, you're interacting with the Father. When you see me, you see the Father. And he's referring to that in this prayer. Father, just like you and I are one, to interact with you is to interact with me, to interact with me is to interact with you, I, I'm praying that the church is that way too. That to interact with the church is to interact with me, to interact with me is to interact with the church. And then I want that for them as well that they are unified with me and because of me. When Jesus prays for unity here, he's not praying for cultural unity. He's not praying for uniformity. He's not looking and saying that if you're a part of the church, you better walk this way and talk this way and have your hair this short and you better quit doing this and you better vote this way and you better support this cause, you better like this. He's not praying that that we are uniformed. He's praying that we are unified. It's a very different conversation. And what unifies us is our love and passion for Christ. If you're a Christ follower, what draws you and I together is that you want to know and understand the heart and mind of God as much as I want to know and understand the heart and mind of God. That you have a passion to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, as much as I have a passion to be like Jesus and love like Jesus. There's a unity that comes because of and through Christ. That does not mean that we have to live a uniform life. You and I might disagree on issues of politic. Maybe you really think we should raise taxes and build a new library, and I really think we shouldn't. That has nothing to do with us tying together in Christ. It doesn't mean you might, you might think, you know what, everybody should homeschool their kids. And somebody else in, in your local church might think everybody should get their kids into the public school system and be a light for Christ. We can approach that completely differently and be unified because of Christ. You might run your marriage a certain way. I might run mine a different way. We, our families may not look alike. It's fine. We don't have to be uniformed. We have to be unified. You know, I have a brother and two sisters, and they're all married, and, and our families don't look anything alike. They, they run their family a certain way, I run mine a different way. They run their finances a certain way, I run mine a different way. They live in one kind of house, I live in a different kind of house. They do one thing for a living, I do another thing for a living. We don't live a uniform life, but we are a unified family. See? 
And that's what Christ is praying for. He's not praying that his church moves in lockstep. In fact, let me warn you, let me caution you. If there's a spiritual leader that you read or listen to or go to their church or whatever, and they are pressing for that, you need to do life exactly as I do life. Your red flag should go up like crazy. Because the church is not a controlling organization. In fact, there's a whole big chunk of Scripture that talks about freedom in Christ. How we can think differently, how we can act differently, how we can move differently, but still be unified in our love and our devotion to Jesus. So the church is a group of people like that. That we all look at Christ and we're all striving to follow and love and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Now, there's a second level to that then. The next thing that's kind of true of the church is that the church is a group of people that are devoted to each other. So out of that unity with Christ comes a devotion to one another. <clears throat> and the Apostle Paul writes about this as well in Romans chapter 12, verses 5 and 10. He says, so in Christ, remember, because we're with Christ and we're because of Christ, so in that unity, we therefore form one body. We're one thing because we belong to Christ. And each member belongs to all the others. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor, honor one another above yourselves. So Paul goes on, he says, listen, because of this unity that we have in Christ, because we share a name. My brother and my sisters, we live different lives, but we share a name. There's a unity there. So in Christ, because we share that, because we're all striving for the same thing, that unity comes out and says, be devoted to one another, where we form one body. My little toe belongs to my thumb, and my thumb belongs to my little toe. We are one thing, therefore each of us belongs to the other. Isn't that fascinating? That when I'm a part of a church, I'm a part of a church not because I like the church. That's our Americanism coming out. That's consumerism. Why do you go to Grace? I like the music. Why do you go to Grace? It's convenient. Why do you go to Grace? Jeff's sexy. I get it. I'm used to the pressure. But, but why, do you, why do we do that? We'll, we'll usually come up with things that we like and care about. And so we chose, we purchased a product. Paul says, no, no, no. <clears throat> That's fine as a first date. But to actually be a part of a church is this idea that we belong to each other. I belong to you and you belong to me. We're one body. The toe and the thumb belong to each other. In Christ, we're all pursuing Christ. We're here for the same reasons. But a devotion and a love comes for each other and we're devoted to one another in love. Guys, being a part of a church and the people of the church is a lot different than sitting in service together. It's a lot different than kind of cheering for the same team. There is to be a personal, relational devotion to each other. You never storm out of a church angry, right? You would process that through. You never sit in church with somebody that you can't stand, that you don't trust, that you believe has offended you. That's not, the, that's not even what a church does. My pinky toe and my thumb, they, they cannot act independently from each other. If one is sick, the whole body is sick. If one is diseased, the whole body is diseased. This unique love, 
<clears throat> and it's a weird kind of love. It's a weird kind of a devotion that when you go through the hardest times in life, I go through those times with you. Why? They don't even involve you because we're devoted to each other because we're a body. By the way, we celebrate the best times in life. We celebrate the baby being born. We celebrate the new marriage. We celebrate the big one. We're not jealous. We're not angry. We don't covet one another. We look and say, no, no, we're happy for you because we, we're devoted to each other. Apostle Paul says that's a church. A church isn't a bunch of people who sit in a room together and look forward and watch a speaker. <coughs> that could be a movie. There's nothing spiritual about that. A church isn't a bunch of people who rally around an organization and kind of take pride in, or, in, in, in uh, participation in the organization. That could be the United Way. Nothing wrong with the United Way. It's just not a church. There's nothing spiritual about it. A church is a spiritual group who is dedicated primarily to Christ and then has a deep devotion and love for each other because we are one body. And so we belong and we give ourselves to each other. <clears throat> the third thing I put down is this, that the church is a group of people that are defined by Christ's heart and mind. The church is a group of people that are defined by Christ's heart and mind. Peter, when he's talking and writing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, says something fascinating about the church. He says this, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. It's fascinating those words that he uses. Dear friends, dear church, he might say, dear followers of Jesus, that Christ has called out and formed into his body, his bride, his family. I urge you to see yourself in a certain way. I urge you to see yourself as a foreigner and an exile. Another place in the Bible uses the word alien. Church, I would urge you to look and say, your citizenship is not in the culture that you exist in now. You are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and you are subjects to a heavenly king. And your definition and your direction and your authority come from that king and from that kingdom, not from the things that are around you. <coughs> Christians are a good kind of weird in this way. There's the left, there's the right, there's the mainstream, and then there's us. We would not fit cleanly into any of those things. If you look and say, I line up 100% with the democratic platform, I would say you're probably not where you need to be as the church. I line up 100% with the Republican platform. You're probably not where you need to be as a church. I'm just a moderate. I, I kind of float in the middle. You're probably not where you need to be as a member of the church. There's a different way, Christ way, and it is to be the way of the church, and it will cause us to live as foreigners, as exiles, as aliens, because we're citizens of another kingdom. By the way, this is why the church is dangerous. It's dangerous within culture. If you want to do a little history lesson, this will be a fun little history lesson for you. Go and research all the totalitarian regimes that have happened since the time of Christ. And what you'll find is this. As those totalitarian regimes uh, rise to power, one of the very first things they will do is try to oppress the church. They'll burn the Bibles, they'll break up the congregations, they'll persecute the pastors, they'll do all that. It's across the board, they'll oppress the church. Why do they do that? 
because they know that the people of God, the church of God, do not respond to earthly authority or earthly incentives like other people do. So if you come in as a totalitarian regime and say, hey, if you don't start preaching pro-government this or that or whatever, then we're going to kill you, the church will look and say, okay, I'm actually not afraid to die. In fact, I, I believe that most of my life has lived in eternity, and what is mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. So you can put me to death. That'll be okay. I'm not afraid of it at all. I'm not forsaking Christ. That's what happened through the whole New Testament, and that's why Christians were martyred, because the Roman government would persecute them that way. The church is also not motivated by earthly incentives. If you came and said, I'll give you $10 million if you just shut up and quit preaching Christ, the church would say, nope, not interested. Why would I gain the whole world and forfeit my soul? I'm not motivated by that at all. So I'm just going to keep preaching Christ. There is no way to stop the church because the church, regardless of the trends of the day, regardless of the rulings of the court, regardless of what's popular or not, the church doesn't change. Because we would look and say, no, no, we are united with Christ because of Christ. We are looking at the path of Christ, which is defined through us by the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible is unchanging because God is unchanging. So that truth is relevant for all time, all space, all history, every culture. We're living that way. You say we need to be culturally relevant. We would look at you and say, your kingdom's going to pass away. The one we belong to is eternal. How many governments, how many nations have risen and fallen and even disappeared since Christ himself was on the planet? So you'll come and go. You're, you, culture, are a passing fad. We are the citizens of heaven. We are defined by the heart and the mind of Christ. Therefore, we're not influenced by how you have allowed your truth to evolve and to dissipate because our truth is anchored and we don't shy away from it, right? And it's, it's a good kind of weird. We're anchored in those ways. We don't shift in those ways. And those who are the true church are always looking and saying, well, what does Christ say? What does he want? And how does he teach us to live? That's the exact same question that was being asked by the early church 2,000 years ago. And if the Lord doesn't return, it's the exact same question that's going to be asked by a church 2,000 years from now. Because we want to know the heart of Christ, we want to know the mind of Christ, and that's what we're going to anchor ourselves on. So what happens is this. In that context, God says, hey, listen, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So get together. We want you to get together. We want you to encourage each other. This is why we go to church. This is why we gather as a meeting we get together because we are anchored kind of by ourselves in a, in a stormy sea of culture, and we encourage each other, we help each other, we spur one another on to love and good deeds, right? Because we believe in Christ and center around Him. Now, there's nothing particularly weird about that. So we can put this picture back up. People do this all the time. Here's some weird people. They gather together, right? This is Comic-Con. They gather together and they encourage each other, they help each other, and they support one another and, so that they can give their lives to something weird. They get together and they think about alternative endings to Star Wars or whether Princess Leia is actually a Jedi or not, those kind of things, even though she's not real, but don't tell them they don't know that, right? 
So they would gather together. And, and the rest of us be, might look and say, well, they're weird, but they don't look at themselves that way. They understand it. There's other groups that gather together just to, for hope. They hope that one day something powerful will happen in their community. Hit the next picture. This would be an example of that. See? Like, this is the year, right? This is the year. We, we got it. We got somebody else's throwaway backup quarterback, and this is the year that we're going we're gonna to make it. But they gather together. Only Browns fans understand Browns fans, right? There's other people. People even gather together for evil purposes, like these people. They gather together. They worship the devil, right? <laughs> so you don't know, but this is pretty common. It's not a weird thing in our culture. It's not a cultish thing that people would have a core center of beliefs that they will not walk away from, and they purposely, regularly, scheduled get together. And that's what a church does. We gather on Saturdays and, and Sundays, on the weekends. We gather in small groups, right? We do that, why? Because we're a good kind of weird because we grow and connect with each other. That's why we would come together and build the communities in those ways, right? Now, for some people, especially if you're new to the whole religion thing and new to following Jesus, I've had many of you come up to me over the years because a bunch of us here at Grace are new to following Jesus, and you will say to me like, hey, my family thinks I joined a cult. Because I, I, I went from never going to church or going to church a couple times a year to like I go every weekend and I'm in a small group. And so they think I've taken this Jesus thing way, way too far. And <clears throat> some of you have looked at me over the years and said, did I join a cult? <laughs> like, are you a cult leader? I'm, and I'm always like, not if you buy me a Ferrari, you're not, right? <laughs> so it, but it's like, what, what am I doing here? And I would say this, you, of course you didn't join a cult, right? You became a devoted follower of Jesus. And one of the things that's unique about the church, and this is a big important point, like we believe in one thing, we don't move, we're stubborn, we're devoted to each other. We lock onto this truth, we, we support and tie together and love each other in the same manner that Christ loved us. If it just stopped there, um, <clears throat> you might have a little bit of an argument about that I join a cult. But the last thing I'm going to show you about what a true church really is, is what blows away all of those ideas, okay? So here's the last thing. A true church, the true church of Jesus Christ, is open and outwardly focused. I, I, a kid came up to me, he's in college, Hey, my parents think I joined a cult, what should I tell him? I said, tell, tell your mom to call me. And so I got on the phone with mom, and she was asking me these questions. She goes, she goes, uh, what do you believe? I said, I'll tell you everything that I believe. Well, can I come to the meeting? I said, you can come to any meeting you want. There, there's nothing, there's no secret here, right? There's no secret here. If you looked at me and said, what are you guys really up to at Grace Church? I would look at you and I would say, well, we want you to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, we want you to accept that you're a sinner the way that we have. We want you to call on the one name under heaven by which you can be saved, Jesus Christ. We don't want you to be Muslim. We don't want you to be Hindu. We don't want you to be Buddhist. We want you to be a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And we want, you, we want you to give your life to the definition and the direction of Jesus and spend the rest of your life pursuing that. No secrets. That's what we want. We're very, very blunt about it. 
right? What do you guys do with all that money you collect? Jeff, do you drive a Ferrari? No, I, I drive a nine-year-old Yukon. But if you want to buy me a new one, I'm open to it, right? What do we do with it? We start other churches. We've started seven of them so far. We start other churches to do the exact same thing that we're doing. That's what we do with all the money. Do you guys send, you send these missionaries out to disrupt other cultures? Actually, yeah, that's exactly what we do. The missionaries in Africa, Brazil, all over the world, because we believe that those folks, if they don't know about Jesus Christ, their eternal soul is in danger. And we believe that so deeply that we will sacrifice of our personal wealth, our personal time. Some of us will even walk away from a North American life to go and live there and proclaim that good news all the time. There's no secret to it. There's no secret meeting, there's no secret handshake, there's no secret club. Life groups are just people meeting in somebody's living room, they're not sacrificing cats, although it wouldn't be a bad addition. <clears throat> there's nothing like that going on. You can come to any meeting you wanna come to, right? We have a business meeting, you can come to it, nobody else comes to it, you're more than welcome to come to it, right? It, it's all open and we would love for you to be a part of it. It's, it's, it's outwardly focused. So a true church, guys, listen, a true church never has a secret. A, a true church never has like money stashed away. In fact, that's one of the most clear marks of a false teacher. A, a true church doesn't have a secret handshake. It's open, it's honest, it's blunt. It's not covering anything. It's not saying it in some codish kind of a way. It's open and it's honest and it's outwardly focused and... It's trying to serve the world around us. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this, verse 42. Jesus called them together, his disciples, or we would say today his church, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, right? You know, most people, when they get power and influence, they're trying to manipulate you and control you with it. They lord it over you. And their high officials exercise authority over them. It's a system. We know kind of how the government works. We know how the guy that gives a permit kind of works. Like you know how it works. That if you have a position of influence or you have a position of power or you have a position where people are looking at you and following you, you manipulate that. <clears throat> Jesus, look at this, verse 43. Not so with you, church. New. Not so with you. The church, my church, who's following my way, would do the exact opposite. Instead of that, whoever wants to become great must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The church is not this power broker place that controls people, not the true church. The church is not this power broker place that's trying to manipulate you. Hey, listen, I'll pray for you if you give me 50 bucks. We'll care for you if you start living the, the lifestyle we want you to live. We'll love you if you knock it off and start doing it. Not so with you, not my church. My church is a friend to sinners like I was. My church came to serve, not to be served. We don't offer love and compassion and grace and forgiveness conditionally. If you stop it, then we might consider 
Not so with you. My church, my people are to lay their lives down like I did. When I came to earth, I didn't come to lord it over people. I didn't use it as a money-making machine. I didn't use it as a manipulation point. I didn't come to control people. I came to serve them and to give them an invitation. Then Jesus would say if he was here, I did not come in secret. I was not remotely vague about what I was teaching. I was not shy about me being the only path to heaven. I also was not a jerk. I was not harsh. I was not cruel. I was not, po- I did, was not political. I did, I, I did not come with another agenda except to seek and to save your soul because I love you. And my people who are called by my name, Christians, Christians, little Christ is what that means. That's what I want reflected from your heart. My church serves. And we have a a quote here at Grace. It's real important to me. It says this, if servanthood is beneath you, then leadership is above you. If servanthood is beneath you, then leadership is above you. Well, how do we get control of our culture? Who's asking for control of our culture? Christ didn't. We got to run our candidates. Uh, run your candidates, whatever. I mean, if that's your cause, it's fine, whatever. We're not, we're not doing that. We, we don't be, we're not citizens of it. We, we serve a higher kingdom. If you, if you want to have a political involvement or political idea, go for it. You have freedom in Christ or whatever you want. But don't make that your identity. We got we to get this country back. We're called to build a kingdom, not save a country. I mean, that, that's really not our cause because the kingdoms rise and fall, hundreds of them, thousands of them since Christ was on earth. Only the kingdom of God is eternal. Well, how do we lead our culture? Serve it. Serve it. Jesus is the most influential person that has ever walked the face of the planet. And that's even if you don't believe he was God. Never owned a home never had money in the bank, was never on TV, was never on the internet, changed the world, never held political office, never ran a campaign, never protested anybody. The only time you ever see him mad is when people were defaming his father's name and charging other people to have their sins forgiven. He changed the world. And he would look at us and say, hey, my body, my bride, my family, that's how I want us to roll. We don't apologize for who we are. We don't change. Just because a culture changed, who cares? We love, we serve, we stand for truth. We communicate the gospel with gentleness and respect, right? And you are my church. And I have given all authority and all power to you to represent me. That's what a church is. That's what a church is. And there's probably a, a few places that we sit here this weekend, Right? So, I bet you there's some of you that would sit in the chair of of curiosity, and because we talked about that a few weeks ago, like if if you'll just kind of hang with us for a 
couple months, I'll try to lay out everything with a, what a Christian is supposed to be, put all the cards on the table. So for you, <clears throat> maybe you just never knew this stuff. And now you do. And, and so when you think about the church, if you can kind of pull off like all of the stuff that kind of swirls around the culture and get right into Jesus' words, maybe being the church and being adopted into the spiritual body called the church has a, has a different idea for you now. And just like ambassadorship, this other path, at least now you know what it is, right? Now I bet you a bunch of us sit where I sat most of my life, where, where I had to unlearn some things about what I thought a church was. Because I thought services, I thought a building, and I thought things they were against. When Pastor Bob got into my life and he started to cast a vision for me about what the true church was, that it was a, a hospital for hurting people, that the more screwed up you are, the more the church can serve you and help you. That the church was, was a place where we unified around Christ, but we didn't have to agree on each, with each other. Democrats and Republicans can love the same Lord. What? Right? That, that we, could, we could view lots of things in life differently and still have the same passionate love for Jesus and love for each other, that we're a family, that we're a body, we're an imperfect family, an imperfect body, because what human beings do best is sin against each other. But there's a devotion, there's a love, there's a passion that we will give to each other. I started to get a vision. Now I've kind of given my whole adult life to it, of what a powerful Christ-centered church could be if we actually were committed to being a church. Now, let me press into this. This is going to tick some of you off, but I love you. Remember that. And if you don't remember that, remember there's people with tasers that will protect me. This definition, ready, has nothing to do with sitting in services. And if you come to church and all you ever have done is sit in a service, then you're, you're by Jesus' definition, you're actually not a part of the church. You're watching the church. It doesn't even have anything to do with money because the church I grew up with, that was your way in. If you showed up all the time and then you put money in the basket, now you're really in. So thank you for your money. You know what, now what we use it for, famine relief, building other churches, stuff like that, right? So, so thank you for being a part of that that does not make you a part of the church because it's not what it is. Lots of kind people give lots of money to lots of things that have nothing to do with Jesus but are good causes, right? And we're not even anti that, but it's, it's not what a church is. If you watch online by yourself, thanks for being a part of it. It's great. Like, seriously, I really appreciate that. But that doesn't make you a part of the church just because you watch or you listen to me or you, or you like it or you listen to Ryan, whoever, right? So by Jesus' definition, until we share our lives with each other because of Christ, we're not actually a part of the church. 
a church is a group of people zeroing in on Jesus and then being as devoted to each other. Our devotion to each other mirrors our devotion to Christ. So until I share my life with you and allow you to share your life with me, until I rejoice with you, until I mourn with you, until I confess my sins to you, until I bear your burdens, all the one another's. Christianity is a team sport. There, there are over 55 distinct, clear commands in Scripture I cannot even obey unless I have other Christians, other Christ followers in my life. So it's only when I start to share my life. Now, you... You can do that with two or three people. Maybe you're watching this in your dorm room and there's four or five of you. You can become the body of Christ right there. You can do that with two or 300 people like sitting in the room right now, right? And we can become the body of Christ. You do this in life group. But showing up, sitting, and putting money in a basket is not being the church. I was taught that it was. And that the people who did that the most consistently were the most faithful parts of the church. Jesus would look at that idea and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because that's not how a family works. It's not how a marriage works. Right? And it's not how a body works. Make sense? So if you're in that chair, you may need to consider those things. In the last year, I would say it might be this one. You, you might hear all this. Maybe you've been coming to Grace for a little bit. And you might say, you know, uh, Jeff, I'm in on that. Like, how do I become a part of this body then? Like, I've been coming for a while. I love what Grace is doing. I, I, can, I can unite with these people. I'm willing to share my life. I want to do that. I want to do it in response to Christ, in response to how that's playing out here at Grace. And what I would say to you is, why don't, let's act on that then. Like if you're feeling at home, then let's be at home. And at Grace, what we do is we have a process where we let you look at us and we look at you. Because adoption's a big deal. So if we're going to adopt you into our family and you're going to adopt us as your family, we should spend a little time on that. So we call that the discovery process. That's a, a small group process where we lay out everything that is Grace Church. We're big on that here. I try to put all my cards on the table so you know what you're getting yourself into, right? I don't want you to be surprised by any of it. So that's what discovery does. And it also causes you to put your cards on the table because we're interacting back and forth is what a church does. So if you, if you want to go down that path and say, you know what, this year, let's do this. Let's really tie in. Even if you've been coming here for like 10 years, like some of you have, I'm just saying, don't feel like I'm talking about you, but I am pointing you out right now in this general area of the room. Even, even if it's been a while, be a part of Discovery. It, the next one starts in two weeks, September 17th, right? And on your connection card in the program or the connection card that's on the app, sign up for that, and we would love to go on that journey with you. Okay, and make the move. Uh, somebody asked me last night, they said, if I've been sitting and I want to jump in, what do I have to do? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure jumping is involved. If you want to jump in, you got to like jump. Then you'll be in, okay? So make the move and tie that in, okay? All right. That's what it means to be the church. And that was our deal for this semester. I'm not going to push you, guilt trip you, nothing like that. I just lay it out. So there you go.
There's the definition of the church and how Christ would see it, how he would want us to see each other, how he would want us to interact with him, and how he would want us to represent his bride, his body, his family, okay? All right, why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this. You created the church. You supernaturally started the church the day of Pentecost, and and we're grateful, God, that we get to be the benefactors of your goodness to us. So thank you for that. God, for each of us, whether we need to start with receiving our salvation, repenting of our sins, or whether you just need to change our minds, that we're in a habit, we're in a paradigm, and we need to look at you and see the way that you lay out and adjust ourselves to you. Instead of weaving you into our lives, we weave our lives into you. And wherever we're at on that spectrum, God, move in our hearts, change our minds and our hearts even now. Jesus, this is all for you and because of you and with you. So as we worship you and we remind ourselves through songs about the wonder and the power of who you are, uh, press into us with your kindness and draw us to yourself with your truth. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.